Welcome to episode 151 of the Design Details Podcast. I'm Bryn Jackson. And I'm Brian Levin. Today we caught up with Mackie Saturday. He flew in to San Francisco, landed at what, 10 p.m.? And we recorded. It was like 8.30. He got here by like 10. He got here like 10. Uh, so this was a late night conversation. It was like 1 a.m. his time. <laughs> 1 a.m. his time. But it was a lot of fun. Uh, Mackie's been on the show before at our one of our live shows at Epicurrence in Tahoe. With Meg Robichaux. With Meg Robichaux. But finally, we get to dig into more of his own thoughts about logos and branding and design. Talk a little bit about his background, but lots of technical and practical advice in this episode. It was really fun. Before we get into the episode, just a reminder, uh, we're still working on open sourcing a lot of the things that we do here at Spec on our GitHub. Our username is specfm. We would love your feedback and input. We're trying to figure things out, but essentially we want the things we build to be accessible to the community, to you, so that anybody can give us feedback and ideas and contribute to the way that we build our podcast, build our network, put together events, uh, start thinking about future products. We have a lot we want to do and it's not going to be possible if we don't get help from the community to build things for the community. Our URL is github.com slash specfm. There's a few open repos right now. We're trying to work on a few more that will be opened up soon. If you want to just follow along, you can star some stuff or of course, fork clone, pull request, open issues. We want to chat. We'd love to hear your feedback. Uh, again, that's at github.com slash specfm. With that, let's get into episode 151 with Mackie Saturday. Hi, I'm Mackie Saturday. You've been on the show before, and the last time you used one less word. So what's changed in the meantime? A couple months of time. Mm-hmm. What's, that was in February with uh, Meg show live at Epicurrence. Mm-hmm. And I was like deathly ill. Mm-hmm. Poor you. It was terrible. What are you working on? Logos. Lots of logos. Uh-huh. Tell me more. That's, that's mostly <laughs> That's mostly it. Tell me more about the logos you're working on. Uh, well, it's, it's visual identity, and so it's for all that kinds That just means of, logos, right? Like, you only do the one logo, and then they're like, here, you take it, and I'm done. I mean, it's not quite that simple, but uh, yeah, of course that's, it is. that's the gist of it, right? Dispel the myth, please. <laughs> uh, yeah, mostly you know, visual identity, and, and the core of that being the logo. We do create the assets that go with that and things that are around that and build a lot of other things, but it really does start and revolve around the logo um, for all kinds of different companies working with, you know, new, newer companies, people that are, you know, under five years and then people that are like over a hundred years old. Uh So it's a, it's a big variety and also some split off, some interesting things or giant companies are dividing into two and, need logos for new companies and the old companies to signify change. Who's the we in this case? The we in this case is the other members of Tremayev, Geismar, Haviv. Being, I was afraid to say it. Being yeah, Tremayev, Geismar, and Haviv. Yeah, we, we also like to, <laughs> to just go. The other guys who the company's named after. <laughs> yeah, C- CGH works really well, so CGH. we stick to that. Um, but so You don't think it would sound great with an S on the end? Like, that would look like Tremayev, Geismar in high school. In high school. It would still be alphabetical though, you know, C, G, H, S. Internal logic that's important. Can be added. Um, It is a very long name. But yeah, so the the we being Ivan Tremayev, Tom Geismar, Sagi Haviv, and myself. And we're the four principals at CGH. Nice. How long have you been there? I've only been there just over six months. Yeah. So. I think last time we caught up, you kind of just started, you Mm -hmm. just 
had you just moved to New York? Or yeah, you're in the process. Yeah. I, I was like a month deep or something at that point. That's right. So you've been there six months now. Yeah. What have you built in the meantime? Prove, a lot, a lot prove of your worth. <laughs> um, well, you were in a magazine article right after you came out here too. Yeah, I was. Um, the people to watch thing they put me on the cover is just because of my dog though not because of me <laughs> are a lot of people watching you now i guess no i don't think so i'm not doing anything worth watching really i've been heads down working and that's kind of the nature of of what we do though too is that a lot of these things that we create take a very long time to come out but then they also last for a very very long time right yeah when i look at the list of brands that cgh has done i mean a lot of them have stood a significant amount of time mm-hmm. yeah what would be some examples Chase Bank, that's yeah. 57 years old. Uh-huh. From, National Geographic. Yeah, Nat Geo's been around. NBC. I mean, a lot of these have really the, the lasted. Peacock? Like, yeah. Crazy. Yeah. There's plenty. Um, but it's really, it is really crazy to to go in every day and work alongside the, the same minds that not only created those pieces, but also kind of pioneered that idea. They were the first people to ever give a bank an abstract logo. They kind of started the abstract logo craze, that reality that you as a company could have anything and it could come to represent who you are, that it didn't have to directly communicate it from day one. I have a question. Mm -hmm. I think some people tell a story about their logo that isn't really obvious. Like this color represent this this and this color represents this yeah how do you think about that like this sort of abstract representation versus just something that looks good and represents this like, black color represents mackie <laughs> as he's wearing this all lack black. of color yeah um well the, only she was subscribed to subtractive color theory yeah <laughs> so that's a great question actually because it's <laughs> one of the <laughs> it, but it is it is a huge confusion point because people come in and they think that logos mean so much the truth is you have a very, very hard time separating the company from the logo. And this is something we talk about all the time. We say everybody loves Apple, everybody loves Nike, and they love their logos. What's a Nike swoosh without Nike, though? A check mark? You know, I mean, it, it doesn't mean anything inherently. It's dynamic. That's its one thing. It has, you know, one thing about it. And they've then, through a lot of advertising in many, many years, made it into a very recognized and, and very good logo. Um, but for example, nobody's going to say that Enron is a good logo. What classics? <laughs> I thought it was great. It is a great logo, but you're a designer. But you know, the rest of the world, you say Enron, they'll be like, oh, terrible logo. Great logo. Paul Rand designed it, but well, they hate terrible company. company. Right. Yeah. So you have a very hard time separating the two. And so when people come and they try to tell these long stories or say, you know, this color means that, and we put these three things together and that equals this. Um, it may all be true, but does that communicate clearly to the rest of the world? It's pretty unlikely. We got to dig into this process because mm-hmm. a client comes to you. How do you even dissect what logo makes sense for them? Can it be anything? Can it be anything that looks good? Or does there have to be like a correlation to the business that they're operating in? I think of like the Chase logo, not inherently banking or financial services, right? Not at all. Yeah. But over time, perhaps it's come to represent that. So how do you even start that process of saying, yeah, these four trapezoid looking things? (laughs) Right. Yeah. Because for banking, exactly. Like what's the universal symbol for banking? Bags of money? A gold coin. (laughs) Yeah. Like, (laughs) you know, it's it's not that. Right. For them, you know, it, it really is about, it was about being trustworthy, about being solid. And so what's something that could represent that? But to your question, Mm. um, 
how do we do that for clients? It, it really comes through asking a lot of questions. We do long, in-depth interviews. They're casual conversations, but they are directed to all the important people at the company so that we can understand what they really need to communicate. And we do ask a variety of questions. We do ask about color. We do ask about how the business actually operates to try to figure out what are the important pieces? What are the things that the outside world needs to know about them? But then a very, I don't know, it's not like a secret question, but the question that really draws it out that gets people thinking that we always ask is, we say, you know, a logo, a great logo is, is very simple and often it can't say very much. Sometimes it can't say anything at all. But if it could say one thing, if that was an emotion, uh, a personality, a characteristic, a feeling, you know, what is that one thing? And that always puts people back on their on their heels because they have to stop for a second and think, okay, what well, what do I really care about? If I can only care about one thing, what do I really care about? And it forces them to think about their company, their brand, their product in a different way. And a lot of times we garner some really good things from that. What kind of answers might you hear? I mean, you hear a lot of cheesy ones that don't really help you at all, like honesty <laughs> and you're like integrity right honesty integrity and like what's the symbol for that nothing but then you do hear you know trustworthy or you hear you know agile or you hear like responsive which doesn't really help you but agility or trustworthy or um, reliable those things can be communicated there's not a symbol for that but when you see it you know it you know that something with heft something that's yeah. that's bold that's is, exactly is trustworthy and then if you need, you know, if you're an agile company, if you want them to know you for being responsive and and always at the forefront of things, maybe you need something that's a bit more dynamic in how it's created, like the Nike logo, which probably means something more organic in form, or it could be, or it's you know metallic, or it's upward, fair, um, you know, s- simple little things like that. Okay. You're going to have to bear some dumb questions because I really don't know a lot about this. And we got to ask a little bit in Epic, uh, Epic Currents, but I, I, think, I think you should ask because you, he gets it. Yeah. I yeah, think people I, don't know much about this. Right. How do you know when a logo is done? Like you're sitting down to work on it. And I think coming from the product background is like, great, we can launch it and get metrics on it and iterate and then tweak it over time as we get feedback from users. Mm-hmm. Is there a similar process for logos? I mean, there's it's a similar process that's much more condensed. Okay. Uh, we, we focus on an idea. We don't focus on aesthetics at first. We really focus on an idea. And do you have an idea? We'll draw that idea. And then if that idea seems to have some merit, yeah, we'll make it an illustrator. We'll print it and put it on a wall. What happens if you don't have an idea? Do you spend more time on interviews or do you kind of work in your own head? Or I mean, you, you only have so much time with interviews. You can't yeah. re-ask the questions. But we'll strategize. We'll sit down. We sit down together for all of these projects and really review the things that we've heard, the other research, the outside research that we've done, and start talking through ideas. And then more ideas inevitably come as you begin to work, too. Mm-hmm. And so once we personally you know, think it's got some merit, and we print it and we start putting it on the wall, then we start testing it. Then the other people start coming in saying, well, you know, Sigi will be like, well, why don't you just put that on the other side? Why is it coming out of this side? Why isn't it over there? Well, that's a good idea. Let me try that. Or just literally, you know, draw on what we've already done. Uh-huh. That There's a really collaborative ex- experience there. And so we'll work through that until we feel that it is at a, a solid point. doesn't mean it's totally done at that point, but once we're confident in it, um, and 
everybody's looked at it, all the principals have reviewed and said, yeah, we all believe in that. Then we send these things off for, you know, preliminary trademark searches. So knockout search um, in the appropriate classes, in the appropriate countries to then see, okay, can we actually use this? How often is that just a giant pain in the ass and kills good ideas? <laughs> I mean, always, but you'd be surprised the things that, that can go through. Um, because since we focus very much on things being as simple as possible, some people just haven't done that still, even after all these years, some of the simplest things are still available. And it's always about just being distinctive enough that it's yours. And so oftentimes it's something that's very, very simple with something that's very odd. And that's what makes it great. It makes it stick in the mind. Do you have an example? An example of that? Well, so like with Oculus, when I did that work, what made that work was how awkward and wide that shape is. It's extremely simple. It's one of my favorite pieces of branding of the last like couple of years at least. Right. And how that was able to, you know, clear worldwide trademark and be ownable and be distinctive is that and that it is a very awkward form. It immediately form. looks like the thing. Yeah. Fortunate, right? <laughs> Thank God the O also stretches to look like the device itself. <laughs> yeah. But that it's just that it's that bit of awkwardness. So instead of it just being a circle, you know, a perfect circle, it's that length that makes it weird and makes it recognizable. In that world, I'm I'm just trying to think of the f- other famous examples, but the most recent one I can think of is the Airbnb logo. Like the, someone the Belo yeah, someone found like a very similar, if not identical, mark ha- in a book the from book the seventies. They found it in yeah. right here. There's, there's two of them. That's what's funny. And it seems to me that, like, a you might not know. It might not be searchable. Or it might be in some book somewhere. Mm-hmm. But like, b does it matter? How do you, as a, a logo designer, think about what's come before? And like, does it have to be new and totally different, or is it okay to borrow very similar marks? Well, I don't think that borrowing marks is appropriate. I'll say that. Um, it depends on how you've arrived at that at that concept. There is there is goodwill that actually is accounted for in registering marks, believe it or not. Um, meaning that when you apply to register something, it may be similar, but if it's not copied, they do give you benefit. We had pure intentions mm-hmm. in creating something very similar. Yeah, and I can't speak to you know Airbnbs and on a technical level. To what you're asking. No, it does not matter if there happened to at one point in the history of the world be something else that was created like that. Obviously, if they have already sent it through all of their regulatory processes and nobody else is ever going to recognize that other logo anyways, what they have works. I know they had a much more current company that also was using a very similar logo and that could present some problems, but Apparently, their attorney said it was okay, and I know that other company went and changed their logo afterwards anyways, so they have some more distinction. And so I I think that's a really bad place to get hung up as a logo designer. Um, You should really be focusing on creating the right solution for the company now and letting the the worries of, has this already existed? Is it, you know, do I need to tweak it just a little bit more to, to make it not look like that? That stuff's bogging you down and not letting you be creative. If your worry is, does my logo look too close to that one and I, do I need to tweak it a little bit? Then yeah, you should probably just throw that one away. <laughs> You're yeah. in the wrong space. So back to the original question, how do you know if the thing you've created is successful? Successful. So then once we get these results back, um, these knockout searches back, we'll look at the things and say, okay, are we clear? And then the things that are, we, we really fine tune them to make sure that they're not just... Pixel fit the shit out of them. 
sort of, except for there's definitely no pixels in logos. Yeah. Because they've got to scale <laughs> massively. But it's really, we're, we're huge on visual perfection. It's not about mathematical perfection. Most things that are mathematically correct are really ugly. Um, and so it's it's making sure that it it feels right, that every curve is beautiful, that the space between everything is optically exactly how we want it to be and considered for all sizes and different backgrounds yeah. and all of those things. Optical um, adjustments often don't scale well, especially to like massive sizes. Mm-hmm. So we have a very unique balance there of of that because ideally we want to give them one logo that works everywhere because as soon as you introduce you know a secondary one it can get confusing somebody might use the wrong logo file at some point and you've created discrepancies which is not ideal so we're considering all those things all the time and then we say okay it's done let's put it in a presentation we always present options and so we we but but we try to um to the best of our ability always only put options in front of somebody that we really believe in and so we often say that when you come into the presentation, it's going to be very challenging, not because it's hard to pick one because you won't like anything, but because it's very hard to decide on one because you may like many. And if it does get too hard, you can always just close your eyes and throw a dart at the wall and you'll still land on a good logo. Uh, how do you feel about the paradox of choice? Like having choice makes it a harder decision than if you just said, here's the one we like, you should use it. It's a harder, it's a harder decision, but I do think it's important because... Though a client is very rarely well-educated on design, they will always know something about the company that we cannot. No matter how much research we do, no matter how many questions we ask, no matter how deeply involved we are, there will still be things that we don't know that they do. And as long as they've trusted us to solve to the best of, of our abilities based on all of the knowledge that we have, that ultimate last choice we believe really should be theirs because they may just get a sense of something that feels right. And we fully believe that all of the things solve it well. So their little bit of intuition can be what makes it great. It's weird. It's it's very different than most areas of design. How often would you opt for something like a word mark over a symbol? Often. Often? I mean, you it it's very helpful. If if appropriate, it's it's really great. So the way we determine that is usually by length. I mean, okay. it's it's a thing of if the name is very long, it's going to be hard to have a word mark just mm-hmm. because of space restrictions. Example, you know, Instagram, Coca-Cola. Right. Mm-hmm. They they are kind of the exceptions, but in most cases, you know, it's it's very challenging um to to have something very long that is just a word mark and especially as digital platforms continue to become prominent and we have avatars and we have these, you know, very small spaces, it's very helpful to have something that fits in a square. And um, hopefully in a circle too. And hopefully in a circle too. <laughs> Good considerations. God, circle so, avatars must be the bane of <laughs> logo designers. I feel it, like that'd be can, such a hard constraint. It can be very difficult, um, especially when you work with digital companies that say have huge social presences. And it's like, yeah, our two biggest outlets are Instagram and Twitter. And it's like, okay, so this thing has to look amazing in a square and amazing in a circle, which can present challenges when, and it needs to be tiny. Um, but to finish off on your question, it's, it's really usually about can it, is it short enough visually? And if so, we're going to, unless there's a real unique reason to, 
to say they need a symbol, we're going to opt for a word mark just because you build so much more recognition so quickly in the company name. People know exactly what they're identifying with. When you think about what it takes to actually get somebody to recognize an abstract mark to be the representation of a company, you're talking about tens or hundreds of millions of dollars of advertising in many years compared to if you can put the name on everything, they know exactly what they're looking at all the time. That's the beauty of the digital space. You know, with an app icon, the name's written right under it all the time. Yeah. So it's, you build that recognition a lot quicker. But outside of that, you think like if you just stick random shape on a shirt, it's going to take a long time for people to know, oh, that's that. My next question was going to be, uh, how often do people set requirements for what they're looking for? Is it often like we want to lock up with a symbol and a word or is it we is ask them really not, up to we you? We ask or? them not to do that. Yeah, okay. Because we think that we, we don't even know when we're getting started and we will present. Sometimes we'll present both. You know, we, it really does take problem solving though. Um, there's a lot to work through and we'll have strategic reasons for why we're presenting what we're presenting. Um, but in the beginning, it's it's often very hard to know what that will be. And a lot of times, even we'll walk in and be like, five-letter word, we're totally doing a word mark, and then we're presenting all symbols at the end because we came to some conclusions throughout the interviews and throughout the research that say, oh, we're really going to need this graphic piece of communication, and so we need that. Um, it seems to me that sometimes logos come out, and it seems okay to talk about Instagram where it's so simple that it's immediately spoofed and people are like how could someone work so long on this it's a round wreck with a circle two circles could you uh, just sh- share a little more about like from your perspective to look at something simple as a final product isn't like how does that represent the work that's involved and why why are people so quick to jump to oh anyone could do that with two minutes and photoshop <laughs> well right? the oculus one stands out to me like i've yeah, I've Oculus. Heard of people give that, but the Instagram example is particularly funny to me. That you I, use that. I think those two are very different in how in their results too. Um, very, very different. So obviously, a, a great logo is one that you can see once or twice and then go draw it on a piece of paper. Um, and so if they can make the joke that it's really quickly you know, able to recreate, <laughs> you've probably done a pretty good thanks job. For the, <laughs> thanks uh, for validating our decision. You know, that's that's nice. However. And this goes back to what we were saying before. It is really important. And this is where I think a lot of people that don't focus on identity design get lost is that ultimate simplicity is not necessarily good identification. And that's what logos do. They identify. They don't communicate. They don't tell you a lot about the company. They identify the company. And in order for them to identify, they do need to be unique and therefore distinctive. And so ultimate simplicity can lack distinction. And I think that presents a real challenge and that's where a lot of people get hung up and miss the mark and so <laughs> yeah that was a pun um but you know a, a logo needs to it needs to have the ability to withstand everything that's going to get thrown at it and to become a vessel for all the things that that company will represent and so and in that also be distinctive and be immediately recognizable and so if you want to talk about Instagram and why everybody's freaking out. You you do know that he did the word mark for Instagram, right? Of course I do. And, okay. it, and it stayed, right? It stayed. I'm talking about the new circle. Yeah, the, uh, the glyph, they call it. Glyph. 
could you talk a little bit about from your point of view what the the reaction to that was like because mm-hmm. it seems it was mixed but in an incredibly violent way <laughs> just people with really strong opinions going one way or the other like you're sitting here doing this professionally at a very high level like how do you view that kind of feedback online mm-hmm. well it's funny that people care so much nowadays number one <laughs> yeah it's great i mean i'm happy that people care uh but you do have a lot of opinions being given that aren't necessarily educated and the fact that people notice these things at all nowadays is just a credit to how much design has really saturated the general public's uh, perception which is great in terms of that really specifically i think it was funny because i think designers had a really hard time because they knew that if you looked at it and objectively said okay does it do a b and c you could say yes and so they would say okay i like it and they wanted to come out and be forward thinking and saying i like change this is progressive they're making steps in the right direction this is good um, and i think you saw that from most designers overall and then the general public just goes oh my gosh you ruined everything that i've known and loved what were you thinking because it's so, it was so drastically it's so vibrant. <laughs> yeah. And the point that nobody's talking about, um, which I think is the real challenge that that logo faces is twofold. One, it's distinction. Um, you look at it and there was some talk. This did come out a little bit. The question of, um, well, it's, it's just a camera icon. It's not different. There are already many icons that are this exact representation. Is that a problem? Could be. Is it distinct enough to to be known? They have a very unique opportunity though with so many people that they can essentially, you know, just own a circle if they wanted to, um, just because of the, how many people actively use that. So they they kind of get to bend the rules a bit to themselves. Well, that's what USA Today did, right? Like they, they just did. literally took a circle. They did. Yep. Um, but the other thing is the question of does that new glyph icon, does it does it have the heft of the previous one? Can it handle you pressing on it day in and day out? And the color certainly does. The bold uh, background does. But the, the icon itself is very light. It's bubbly. It actually doesn't have an even lines. It's kind of inflatable. And so it's a question. Um, that I think people should consider that nobody really looked at because you're so taken aback by the rainbow, by the gradient. I think what you said just a moment ago is really interesting. Like if they had just done a circle, they could own it because so many people use it. As you're designing logos, how does that mentality play into the work you do that? Oh, we're designing a logo for a company that's so big, we could draw a circle and so many people would see it that they could own it and be successful with it. Mm-hmm. It does play into it. And what we try to do with that is not use it as a crutch, but use it as, I don't know, a springboard to say, what's the, this means we have a real opportunity to do something great. We have a chance to do something that is very bold, that is very simple, but we still want it to be distinctive and, and something that we can be proud of. But maybe that's just the unique orientation of very familiar shapes. Um, but then knowing that that company has the, the goodwill with their users and the world as a whole to, to make that very famous and very known very quickly. Um, and that it's a, we, we look at it as, yeah, it's a great opportunity, but okay. you must treat it right. There's a responsibility to that. There is a huge responsibility to logo design that very few people take on wholeheartedly. Have you? I'm trying to. 
What's the hardest part about that? The responsibility of it. I mean, it's, it's, it's a very big weight to go. It doesn't matter what anybody likes. It's not about what somebody likes or dislikes. It's about what works. It's about what will last. And that's hard because you, you are subjecting yourself always to the fact that most people will not initially appreciate what you do. But can we make things that will last decades? And the only way to do that is to uphold uh, these certain criteria and stick to our guns on things, even when trends shift, even when, you know, technology moves or, or requirements change. Can you create something that can endure through all of that? The sticking to your guns part seems the hardest to me. It can be very hard. Like if you ship something and the general public doesn't like it and the general public was your audience, what do you do? The it's really fucking to, hard to redo it. Like, oh, you're right. You know what? We kind of fucked up. The correlation <laughs> to product design is uh, is interesting. Like we oftentimes are able to gather data. Is there any way to like validate your findings? No nope. Your work? Focus well, groups. <laughs> yeah, definitely not focus groups. Definitely um, not? Do definitely. people do that? A lot of people ask for it, but here's the thing. The first time you see something new, you have your, your response is to try to figure out what it looks like. And if it doesn't look like anything you've ever seen before, which is what a good logo should do, right? You immediately try to, you're like, you're grasping at straws to make it mean something to you, but it doesn't mean anything at that You look moment. for patterns. Yes. Right? You're like, it reminds me of... Star Trek, you know, that's where all these crazy things come from. Or people are like, oh, it looks like something phallic or or whatever. Like, <laughs> oh, we're on Airbnb again. <laughs> yeah. But like you're you're always grasping for something because it makes you uncomfortable to not be able to to reference what you're looking at. So focus grouping something, you're either gonna everybody will like what's a really bad logo because be like, I love that. It reminds me of my child's drawing or whatever. <laughs> like, okay, I blew it. Um so yeah, you can't do that. But the only way we've, we've really tested these things is do they hold up? Do they really do their job well? But how do you know? Is that just acquired taste over time? Is there proof besides actually just shipping it and then checking back in in 20 years? <laughs> well, like 20 years is a long time. But um, <laughs> there is there is track records. You know, if you look back at what's worked and what hasn't worked. If you look at companies, for example, that made big, bold statements when they updated their identities. Um, let's take Apple, for example, just because everybody loves the Apple logo and they had a massive transformation. If anybody has seen the very first Apple logo, that it's was crazy. the etching thing, basically. My favorite mm-hmm. iteration of the logo, <laughs> yes. to be honest. And then they jumped all the way to the Apple. Sure, it had all the color in it, but the form was exactly the same as what we've had now. It stayed and it has stayed the whole time. You look at a company like... Shell, for example, the oil company, they iterated that logo for a hundred years to get it to its simple form now. And there you look at it and go- Tons and tons of iterations. Right. And you go, oh, well, if you would have just done the simplest version of that that was still distinctive, you wouldn't have had to change your logo 17 times or whatever. And so that test of, is this going to work? Is this going to last, you know- really can come down to looking at it, doing a visual evaluation of the work you've created. Have I created the simplest possible version of this that is still distinctive, that is bold, that has the ability to take on all kinds of different things that I can't even fathom now, like new technologies that will exist in 10 years, that it needs to be rendered in some other crazy way that I don't know about. Will it have that capacity? Um, 
that's really when you know you've succeeded. If you've created distinction amidst doing that and getting it that simple. What do you think about visual trends? And it's hard to speak to this, but I think if we take Apple as an example, like it went from the rainbow to white with like a brushed gradient on it and sort of like the swoosh through it. And then they sort of start and flatten it, flatten it, flatten it. The aqua one. The aqua one. And now it's just white. And I wonder, is that like a progression? They recently did a double stroke version, which was really weird. Oh, really? I didn't see that. I didn't either, but it, it sounds it was a, terrible. It was for like a <laughs> it was for like a uh like green energy thing and uh, it was a mm. double stroke of white on green, I think, and it had a power plug at the end or something. It was okay. silly. Simple is an interesting word because I wonder if simple is representative of just society's taste of the time. And if that evolves over time and logo design changes with it, or is there an is simplicity objectively better as in less texture, less shadowless let's think of it this way um this is where logos separate themselves immensely from product design and things like that it's important for products to be relevant and to be familiar with the times and so they're always going to be changing um the logo though has to stay the same through all of these things because you don't want to create confusion for the customer for the user they need to know what they're using is this the thing that i know and love and so staying on the apple logo is the example the logo didn't have to change to go through all these trends it was able to take on these things it was able to be rendered dimensionally it was be it was able to have bars of color it was able to just be flat and all still within the same shape the same simple shape and so that really shows that logo is able to hold a lot. Like when I said you put a lot of meaning into it, but you also throw a lot at it in terms of how it's executed. So are you saying that the render on top isn't the logo? It's Depends. a style of the logo? That's a unique question because there's not a yes or no to that. Because some, if the logo relies on the render, okay, then you have a problem. Well, there are, there are ton of, tons of examples of that. Like think of like the Chevrolet like bow tie thing, like on, on a car, it can mm-hmm. be like chamfered and have like multiple reflective angles, but on like their desktop, it's just like, or uh, sorry, on their website, it's just like a yellow one. Mm-hmm. Like, yeah, I you think, get lots of options. I think car logos are a really good thing to look at for that because they're rendered every which way. For years, the Dodge Brothers were just a Jewish star. Oh, really? Like yeah. the Mercedes logo has been around for a very, very long time and been rendered a lot of different ways, yeah. but it's always been that same general shape, the three points in the circle, and it's taken on all kinds of different renderings, but itself has stayed the same. BMW so, too, actually. Mm-hmm. Yeah, BMW is a good one. When you're working, are you also thinking about then the render and what the final version of the render is and possible permutations? Or are you focused more on like, what's the underlying shape that, yeah, you guys can add texture and stuff on top if you want, but that's not what we're designing. We're always designing the underlying shape. And we usually recommend not to put things on it as much <laughs> as humanly possible. It's better for us to say, don't do it because it will inevitably happen. But a lot of times, you know, it's, can it hold this? Could it take on an image? Could it do these things? Could you do all this stuff and would it still be distinctive? Like if you, here's a, here's a question for you. Ready? I'll be, put some real dramatic issues on the air that I probably shouldn't, but that's the question. What if you put a different color behind the new Instagram icon? Would it still be Instagram? I mean, I really like the treatment on their website where it's just like uh, either black or the dark blue on the white background. Mm -hmm. So I think the answer to that is yes. 
then it works. But these are the things you have to think about. And these are the things they think about. These are the things all identity designers should think about and other designers should start, hopefully, understanding a little bit more of. How did you start thinking about identity design? Let's go back. Okay, we'll go way back. Where are you from? <laughs> California. But I was going to art school in Colorado. Yeah. And so when I was going to art school out there, uh, I, I have a BFA. I don't have a design degree. So uh, I was doing my senior thesis and I actually did it on identity. And this had nothing to do with design. It was just on identity and the ideas of figuring out what were the key communication points of what made up a person um, without just a picture of the person. Private Eye Mackie Saturday. <laughs> no, what I mean, I was doing, so I did a bunch of pieces around like, you know, what are the things that somebody likes to do or what are the things that, the, the little things that make somebody unique. Um, and so I did all that work and it was funny enough that that is kind of what leads into making logos. But there were some steps in between there where I just figured, hey, I need to make money and design seems to, to work well, blending art and money coming into your bank account. And so I was doing web stuff. I was doing a lot of skateboard and snowboard graphics and all of those things. But as I was doing all of that, I clearly recognized that I had a passion and an understanding of, you know, reducing things down and finding the simplest form of communication that I could. And I said, well, why don't I just work on that? It doesn't seem like there are enough people focused on just doing that really well. And there used to be a lot more people that did that really well. And there aren't that many people now. So I'm going to do that. I don't want to be, a, I don't know, an octopus with a hundred arms or whatever. Like I want to be focused. Well, that wouldn't be an octopus anymore, would it? I guess not. <laughs> what would that be? But yeah, I, 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 I don't know. <laughs> I just thought of uh, the people that I knew that I always really looked up to were people that, that were focused and that did something really, really well. Um, it's hard to, there are, there are people that are known for doing many things very well, but the, the majority is, is a focused effort. And I said, okay, one I want to go on this. One of the arguments to doing a lot of different things is hedging your bets, right? If you go all in on one, it turns out, A, you're not good at it. B, it's no longer valued and you can't make money on it. Uh, you're kind of fucked, right? Yeah, I've always liked taking bigger risks. Uh-huh. But you can also really suck at a lot of things, too. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's true. But I mean, let's look at you, for example. Like, okay. everything. Yeah, but at least Except I... Except for payments design. That one thing. <laughs> Thanks, buddy. <laughs> the hate around these microphones. Uh, He's been coming at me all day. It's about that time. Uh, I make jokes about how everyone must hate listening to Bryn. <laughs> so you went all in. I went all in. How did you start? Like, I'm going to design some logos. Mm -hmm. Did you have clients at the time? Did you want to join an agency? What happened? Nope. Um, I have a very funny story that I've never shared publicly. So that's good, right? That's what you like to hear. Exclusive. Design details exclusive. <laughs> you heard it here. My very first commissioned logo design. So this is not, not designs for people that I knew, but for somebody else. I got by, I put an ad on Craigslist that said, I will design your logo for free. What do you need? I'll do it. I put it out there. And a guy reached out to me that was starting a newspaper. 
and he needed a logo and he wasn't he didn't believe that i would really do it for free he thought there was some scam you know that i was gonna be like i'll give you free consultation and then i'll do this but he still contacted me i said no i just need to learn how to do this well and i need real clients to do that so if you'll trust me to do this and let it be somewhat of a learning process i won't charge you um and he took it and lo and behold the washington post logo was born (laughs) and that's how you made your mark (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> yeah, I don't recommend starting like that. I think a lot of people will really think of that as an insulting thing to craft and all this. But I was young and uneducated and I needed to, I knew that making, just making logos for fake companies wouldn't help me get better at all because there's no problem to solve. <laughs> Unsolicited just, redesign. Yeah. yeah. yeah it's well, like, you can choose your constraints. There's not really any constraints. Yeah. There's no problem to solve except for what you like. And that really doesn't matter, like I said, in a logo. So, um, that was how I started that. Uh, we had a great conversation with Dan Petty on his episode where he actively recommends people do free work in certain contexts when it makes sense. Do you believe that now or have you sort of, uh, do you look back and think that was foolish? No, I think it was very wise at that point in time because I needed to get the education somehow. I needed the real experience. It's like, or I could have gotten an internship, but that was harder than, you know, posting an ad on Craigslist. Well, it sounds like you and Dan both recommend it from the same perspective of if you offer it, if you want to do free work, that's cool. But no one should ask you to do free work. Correct. That's a very different thing. Those are yeah. worlds apart. I think people get those confused a lot. Mm-hmm. Uh, how do you feel about, and I don't want to knock it because I think everyone's in a different space with their company or brand or whatever, but like Fiverr, $5 logos. Or something like the Squarespace logo generator where you can anyone can go on and use shapes and create mm-hmm. something. How do you how do you think of those like coming from that that early beginning of doing these things for free and like Yeah, I mean I think not really need having the education to to the work at the craft you're at now, right? Yeah. I mean I think Fiverr's a, f- a really funny thing because I'm pretty sure that I mean, I guess people do things for $5 in there, but it's mostly like upselling, right? It's like $5, but if you actually want the logo file, <laughs> it's another 100 or it's, it's whatever. So it's kind of scammy. And I just think that is unfortunate because I'm sure there's people on there with, with real ability and they deserve to just be paid for that. And it would be nicer if maybe it was just a big resource for finding creatives um, worldwide. And I wish they could have, but you, you need something to catch people's attention. I guess saying it's $5 gets them there. Um yeah, but what then like logo the squares, creators. <laughs> yeah, logo generator. I mean, you're just going to you're going to get what you're going to get. You're going to get an icon. You can also just go to uh I don't know, in the noun project <laughs> and pay for to download an icon and stick something next to it and sure, it's about it's maybe even more unique than a logo generator. So you designed uh, a free newspaper logo. Mm-hmm. You're still in Colorado? Yeah. Oh yeah. What happened next? He paid me to do some other design for him. Ah, there you go. And didn't even ask. He was just liked the relationship, and so it worked. And um, I just started telling people that that was what I did. It really was a, this thing of of like massive. It was not a, a a thing of of massive like publication or really promotion or anything like that. I just started saying, "No, this is what I do." So when people asked, "What do you do?" I said, "I did this," and then enough people heard that that was what I did, and they would tell other people. And when they needed that done, they said, "Hey, I heard you do this." I said, "Yep, I do." And they said, "Well, this person really liked working with you, so can you work with us?" I would love to. And it scaled. 
it scaled. I mean, it was really this whole thing of building the relationships and regardless of who I was working for, working to the best of my abilities and really believing that they were uh, a client that I needed and that they were valuable, even if I didn't necessarily see them as, you know, some awesome company or this or that, you never know who they're connected to. You never know who's their aunt or, or whatever. Um, and so I tried to, within reason, treat all clients as equal, do the best work that I possibly could so that nobody could say, oh, I worked with him, but he, he didn't care about my project or he da da da. He slacked off or this or that. It was always, I wanted to treat them uh, the same way I wished to be treated and give them the best work that I could because I knew that was the only way I was going to progress. And so um, it, it worked. It just <laughs> continued to build up more and more of a client base. How did you learn what you needed to know about how much to charge, how to manage a business, how to actually be a successful freelancer? Mm -hmm. um, Do you have a mentor? Nope, I did not. Ask a lot of questions, read On a lot the of books, yeah. Talk Just, to people. Okay. I mean, it was it was reading a lot. I remember when I first read the uh, pricing and ethical guidelines book that's produced by AIGA, I think, or something. Or no, 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 it's by the Artist Guild something. I don't even remember. So it's a book. <laughs> okay, was it helpful? It was helpful to go. Oh my gosh, I can't believe people charge this much for stuff back then. It's like there's no way I could charge that. That's something um, we talked about on our live episode with you at Epicurrence. Yeah. And so um, I, I looked at that and I just, I mean, I, at the beginning, I was really just worried about making enough money to get by. When did that change? Like when, when was enough to get by? Well, when, like when there was, quite. when there was no more time, once time ran out, then I had to start charging more because I only have so much time. And that was really what changed my rates was physically running out of time. It's interesting that you were making enough to like get by and then to go beyond that and say like, okay, I need to make, start making more because I have all this inbound demand versus just saying, okay, I'm going to work until I've made enough to get by and then stop mm -hmm. and I'll do something else. Chill sure, out. sure. And it wasn't that I felt like, oh, I need to make more, but it was that I knew that there was more value to the things that I was creating and people were telling me that to other designers and, and obviously my handy dandy book and all of those <laughs> things. Uh, but I also realized that I wanted to create more impactful work. And that meant I needed to continue to have time to work with the right people. And that did mean raising my rates. There is a truth that people, if you don't charge somebody enough, people won't take you seriously. So at what point do you just throw out crazy high numbers and hope for the best? Or was there a strategy to it? <laughs> there was some of that. <laughs> yeah for sure there is this thing and you're like oh man they'll never take that and then they you always know if they say yes within a day without any question that you charge too little got it um i mean not necessarily too little sometimes people are just very respectful and that's really great <laughs> sometimes was, people are just professional yeah right, weird right but when i was young and i i didn't know um and so yeah there was there was a lot of that and then i would just yeah i would talk to other people that were doing similar things and we would have open conversations. Luckily, a lot of people that are are doing this type of work and that are around my same age and same experience levels have all been very open. We've tried to be honest with each other because it, it helps us all. If we collectively have similar rates, then nobody's like shooting way out of the ballpark and never getting any work or nobody. I mean, unfortunately, you'll always have the people that will intentionally undercut. Yeah. Um, but 
overall uh, it helps a rising tide um so what, th- what what about a rising tide raises all boats work together no i i got the reference i was just like wait what <laughs> yeah uh so at this point you've designed uh marks that a lot of people would know like certainly the instagram wordmark uh, oculus I'm curious just like for you personally is there any particular work that you're most proud of or or look back as like sort of what you enjoyed working on the most and that's a hard question for sure because you don't a lot of people say like what's your favorite thing you've ever designed and that's a really loaded question because what's your favorite thing you've ever designed <laughs> <laughs> which client was your favorite who right. paid you the most right people that paid me most were not my favorite clients that's for sure um because yeah there's different things there's work that you create that you're really proud of and then there's relationships that were really great there's problems that you solved that were just really big problems but maybe the end result is not necessarily massively public or something like that but it's also really solved the problem for the client and that can be extremely rewarding and so there's there's lots of different parts of that i think oculus is something to be celebrated just because of the simplicity and so it's it's a thing that i can go man, I really hope that that does stick around for a very long time because the fact that they can own that and that nobody else can now is something to really cling tight to for the long run because owning something so simple and that being known as you is a is a really valuable thing. But there's been a lot of just like identification problems that I feel like I was able to help solve that was very rewarding like the work i did with lux was really rewarding just because we we said you have a logo the symbol and you have type you don't need both sure there actually was some issues of their logo looked like another logo but nobody was even pointing it out at that point in time wasn't um, it the like the renault logo the renault yeah yeah which is in the same industry renault. So they would, it's called renault it's a french car manufacturer renault renault and so if they would have actually... Thanks, Bryn, for correcting us. Probably, you know, trademark search that there would have been more issues that would have come up eventually. But the there was a lot of strategy around, hey, not only are you introducing people to a new company, you're also introducing them to a service they're not familiar with. So they're already uncomfortable. And then if you're expecting them to somehow recognize a logo that doesn't say that company's name and then be like oh that's the person i need to make all those connections in the moment's notice while you're driving is a lot to ask of somebody and so um to be able to say no we don't need all of that let's simplify this down that was a a fun problem to solve what's the biggest mistake you've made Mm, working on the lux logo with dan petty (laughs) (laughs) Uh, biggest mistake i like that a lot of people look at mistakes as you know, moments of learning and stuff, but is there anything you oh, wish yeah. you could just like, yeah, I really wish I hadn't done that. <laughs> uh, I mean, I learned a lot from buying some property, but it was a big mistake. <laughs> okay. Not totally design not related. design thing. Well, I mean, it's design related in that I wanted to design a house with a special specific office so I could have more time at home because I was spending all my time in the office. And so I wanted to get a space that was in a location that would allow for that. And, uh, and what happened? I moved to New York. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's a mistake. And now you have no space. Yeah, now I have no space. No, I'm very happy. I guess I don't know. Now. I've never seen your apartment. I moved. What's funny is I moved to New York and I live a much more, like, it, it's a less urban life than what I had before because I live on a park and it's 
all green. And so it doesn't even feel like I live in New York City. So Brooklyn? Yeah. Williamsburg. Yep. Well, right on the edge of Williamsburg and Greenpoint. Uh, I think a lot of product designers listen to the show. Mm -hmm. um, but if someone out there is thinking about identity design. Uh, Which a lot of startup designers would be. Startup designers. Oh, yeah. Totally relevant right like now. Like I had to do a bunch of identity stuff at my last gig and I'm, I'm not proud of any of it, but fuck it. We shipped it. <laughs> that happens a lot. What's the quickest way to level up? Like not how do you start? I think that takes just some research and working, but like mm -hmm. how, how do you go from I can work my way around Illustrator and logos to like being a fucking logo designer that does great work? What, how do you level up, level up that way? <laughs> Don't start by designing an Illustrator. <laughs> okay, wrong tool. No, no, it's the right tool to finish with, okay. but start on pencil and paper. I mean, draw it first. Um, when it's that simple, it's not like you really need a computer to get all those crazy effects out. It uh -huh. needs to be simple anyways. But the a, a quick step to to leveling up is focus your um, your ideas. Don't try to put too much in there. Do less um, and then see how you can make it distinctive. And don't be scared for it to be a little bit awkward. And remember that tech is not a style. <laughs> what? <laughs> a tech style? You can make clothing, sure. Oh, nice. <laughs> um, you're pretty young. And uh, you've ended up in New York at CGH. You say ended up like it's done. You're right. The way I'm phrasing the question is wrong. You're, you're now at CGH for a logo designer like yourself, like What's the path? Where do you go? Is this is this a lifelong thing? I think like why do you switch from identity designer to logo designer? Are they different? No. Okay. Uh, I think like you know to map it back to our world, like product design. So yeah, you can be an IC for a long time. You could go the manager route. You could try and start a company or something like that. Does that map to what you want to do? It's a it's a good question. It's a really relevant question because when this opportunity came up, it, it forced me to step back and, and do a big evaluation. And I remember talking to my wife about it. And I, the reality I came to was, I said, you know what? I either have to take this because this is the peak of opportunity in that field, or I need to consider a different path. Because I do work alongside, you know, two guys who started a company 59 years ago that defined the industry that I now make a living in. And they're still actively doing this every day and work on it with me. And so there really is not a better place to learn. There really is not a better place to go forward. And there's not a better legacy that I could build on. So in my mind, this is that pinnacle of if you're climbing towards something it really is there and the way i have to go into it and the way that i'm in it now is is for the long haul i don't have a desire to go work somewhere else or to start back up my company again or to do these things i would rather be collaboratively working alongside the greatest people in this field ever um, and try to contribute to that as much as I can. I see that as my greatest opportunity, the best chance to work with the biggest companies in the world it's um, a good and, place to, to be. and to create the most impactful design that I can. So, um, you know, my perception on it is 
just like in the beginning, remember, or not the beginning, but just like you said earlier, it's like, I go all in. I'm not halfway in saying, okay, it's this, but then there's this or that or that. I'm not way like not weighing my options. Does the long haul scare you? No, because I'm trying to make work that'll last longer than I will. Ah, that's a good point. So life, I mean, all I've come to see from when I first decided I was going to be a designer to now is that everything that I've predicted is wrong. So great answer back. Not in terms of design styles Dude, and things like that. Dude, that's still fuck. But <laughs> they were never gone. Bren. Dan, I love you, but fuck. <laughs> but yeah, I mean, just the, the thing of life. I, I can't predict life. That's what I mean. You know, all the things that I think I'm going to do in life, I never get right. And so I should just focus on being in what I am now with the with good long-term pursuits, but not expecting that I'm going to have any idea what life's really going to look like even in six months. Yeah, because you ended up in New York. Right. And, and not San Francisco. Yeah. With the rest of us. Mm-hmm. I didn't come I didn't come home. I went not the opposite one way. One of us. <laughs> we miss you is what we're saying. I'm, I do miss the people of San Francisco and I miss my office out here, but New York is a wonderful place. Indeed. And now we're over time. That's true. Last time we asked you what keeps you up at night. <laughs> and this time we're going to ask you the exact same question. What's keeping you up at night now? It's been six months. It's been six months. What's keeping me up at night? Um, I think things have changed though about what keeps me up at night since last time. My thoughts are uh, are split a bit more now. Um, and so- I thought you went all in, man. <laughs> I, I do. I try nope, to. You know, but but uh, you know, I, st- I still always stay up at night wondering like, like what if or what like what if i did that what if i did this well what if i did that what if that that's there but then there also is a lot more youthful creativity back in my nights that i used to have um, where i just dream of you know whether that's creating art or surfing skating those kind of things too and and those blissful moments and that stuff keeps me up too because i get excited about those uh opportunities and doing those things perfect cool. solid answer thanks for coming on it is uh almost midnight right so uh, it's, it's uh, like 3 a.m your time yeah 3 a.m your time 248 how you feeling terrific good best cup of coffee i've had all day well we're done thank thanks you so much for so much for time. coming thank you out. guys so much for having me again that was episode 151 thank you so much to mackie for really getting off a plane and coming straight here to talk and it was awesome we finished what 3 a.m his time we really appreciate him taking the time it was a lot of fun we hope you enjoyed it if you did hit us up we're on twitter at design details fm we always love to hear what you think of the episodes if you are enjoying them leave us an itunes review every single rating even if it doesn't have feedback just a star rating helps us move up the charts tells apple and itunes that more people should listen and helps new people like you discover the show So if you did enjoy this episode, we would really appreciate it if you would leave us a review on iTunes. It means a lot. You can also, of course, join our Slack team. That's at spec.fm. And help us build a replacement to our Slack team. Hey. That'd be fun. We'll see you next week with Beth Dean.
Okay. Justin Perforce asked me a question today. I think he meant like mm-hmm. two options. You have to choose one. Would you rather have in place of fingers butter knives, hmm. but you can't cut or spread anything with them, and they rust, so you constantly have to like upkeep them. But okay. your your fingers are all butter knives, so you that's a hassle. Sounds or awful. have them be made of tiny people hmm. that like are like complete humans like they poop and you have to feed them and whatever otherwise your fingers will just rot off uh butter knives yeah butter knives (laughs) (laughs) i don't want more people (laughs) can you imagine taking care of 10 people i I can't even take care of myself and then what if you didn't like one of them would you just let it rot off so you'd have nine if you didn't like one person you've been bad You're not getting fed today, but then would the other ones revolt and not work because they really liked the other guy? But or that's something? the thing I was gonna say. Like you're like, well, what if you had extra fingers? Like, what if you had a bunch of extra fingers? <laughs> Holy wow. dexterity, Batman! But what would they do besides grip a lot of things? How did Justin come up with that? He needs more design Justin's problems a crazy to solve. Person. Have you met Justin? Justin? Yeah, I know. Justin. He's a crazy person. He is, but didn't think he was that crazy. <laughs>